Hello and welcome to episode six in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. On today's episode, we're joined by Dan, who has worked in CS across a number of startups, including Spreadfast, Marvel, and most recently as VP of Customer Success at CNIT. Yeah, thank you, firstly, Dan, for joining uh, the podcast. I'm really excited to have you as a guest. Um, it would be great to just hear a little bit about your background and how you got started within customer success. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's actually, I'm a big fan of this podcast. As, uh, as I was ranting about earlier, listen to all the episodes. I think it's great. Um, so, yeah, congratulations, guests, for getting it started and sort of sort of persevering with it. Um, yeah, my background, so a uh, bit of a strange one. So, I actually, I have an engineering background. Uh, so, I, I did computer science at university. Graduated with a computer science degree, went into being a uh, like a third line dev technical person uh, for a year and a half. So um, yeah, I don't think you get many CS people that have actually kind of been down that route, which is interesting. Uh, I did that. I was doing that for roughly a year and a half. I moved then into a more technical role, a technical support role, at another company. And this this was around a time where, to be totally honest, and actually if I go back, it's probably, this was roughly 2012, I think, just before 2012. This was around a time I, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do professionally at all. I had absolutely no idea. Uh, everyone I knew seemed to have like a complete concrete idea of exactly what they were going to be doing in like 30 years time. And I just didn't have any idea at all, uh, which was... I think a lot of people go through that and it's perfectly normal, but I was very anxious about it because I just didn't know what the future really held for me. And this was around the time uh, that the company I was working for was actually moving from uh, perpetual licensing on-premise to SaaS, which, uh, as you guys probably know, not many companies have done that very successfully. You've, you know, you've got the Adobes and, and sort of those sorts of guys that have managed to do that quite well, but... Uh, so it didn't bode well uh, to start with. But anyway, as that move ha- was happening to SaaS, all of a sudden this business uh, that I was working for was like customer success is now incredibly important to us. At a time when I was like, what hell is customer success? That sounds like complete rubbish. Like, what well, nonsense. Um, and they actually hired in a chief customer officer from the US to basically head that entire function up. And my team got absorbed into that customer success function, uh, which was really interesting. I had no idea what any of it meant. Um, 2012, I, I think customer success was still very early here in Europe. I think in the US, obviously, things had, you know, you have Marketo and all, all of those players out there, but, but here it was very, very early. And she bought us a load of books. It was, I think it was her first week, and she sent all of these books out to us from the US. And I got this book. It was called Outside In by Harley Manning. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's, no. I talked to everyone about it, and I was like, no, I've never heard of that one. Um, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And I remember getting it and just thinking, okay, well, I'll give this a go. Um, you know, the, the big sort of, the big cheese has sent it, so I better better read it sort of thing. And that was the book that really intrigued me about what customer success could be. And actually it made me realize, you know, is this something that actually could be for me in the long term? Is this actually something that's going to turn into something? And the book's fantastic. It gives you exa- like real-life examples about companies like DHL and FedEx who have gone for this huge, actual huge customer experience transformation that's happened over the last 15 years. Um, and it is just, it's all about taking an outside-in approach and look to your business, basically. Um, so, yeah, this book kind of like 
kicked it for me. Um, I started reading more and more into customer success, looking to how Salesforce had adopted customer success and all, the, all these different things. Um, I then, from that point, made a move to a company called Spreadfast, um, who are a who were <laughs> a, uh, a US um, SaaS business uh, social marketing platform. Um, I was there for about two and a half years. Uh, I was the second or third employee in Europe, so we were basically doing customer success, customer support, so like literally everything. Um, and it was an amazing experience. I was so lucky because uh, they had just raised a small amount of investment, but the, at that time they had about 150 employees and they had a chief customer officer um, there. And they were very mature for a CS organization of, of, for a company of that size. Like they had a lot of processes already set up. They had a lot of really, really talented people there. And I learned pretty much, I'll be honest, like pretty much everything from working there for two and a half years. Um, the team I was in went from three people to I think it was like 30 or 50 people in the space of two and a half years in London. Things changed a huge amount. Um, and that's when I realized how much I actually loved startup. I'd never really seen myself working at a startup before. Um, and I was like, do you know what? Like, I actually think startup's a place for me. And actually being able to take customer success into a startup um, would be something that would really excite me. So then I moved on to another role, role at a company called Marvel, um, who are actually not too far from here. Um, they'd just raised a Series A. Um, I was part of starting the CS team there. Um, was there for a year and a half. Fantastic experience. Um, and now I'm at Seenit, where we're an even smaller company. There's 25 of us. We're, we're sort of pre-seed. And, and yeah, heading out customer success here. So that's kind of <laughs> slapdash like kind yeah, of journey into sort of sort of my, yeah, my, my sort of pro progress and journey so far. But yeah. Perfect. Amazing. I guess going back to that kind of um, early stage where you did transition from the sort of support technical role into customer success, what was the biggest change for you going from oh, perhaps maybe the support yeah, side? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'd So it's funny, I look back now, I've always had kind of a customer service background. Like even when I was at uni, I was like, I had a job in like cinema and you know, you're just serving like customers and stuff. And I talk to people about films and I'd be like, yeah, man, you're back again. And I'd make connections with people there and stuff. So I've always worked in kind of a customer service background. Um, when I was in technical support, I think the, the biggest transition, and I think th this is for anyone that's, that's in that support area right now. And they're like, I'm thinking about going into customer success is you're, it's perfect because you're talking with customers on the day-to-day. -day. You've got good technical background on how the platform works. So you're never going to get any of those sort of technical questions that we all hate as CSMs where we're like, let me just go back and check like with the development team. And you say that for every single question I ask you and you're just like, I feel useless. You're never going to have that problem. The biggest transition is definitely the commercial element to the role. So, And that's something that was a, a huge change for me. And to be honest, took me two years to be honest to really get to grips with um and that's all of the all you know all of the um uh, the sort of bells and whistles around your, your key internal stakeholders who your strategic decision makers are how the procurement process works how budget cycles but like all of that sort of stuff and you work in tech support you just don't care you don't even know what any of that stuff is so that's a huge change um and that took me a long time and actually i guess three or four different roles within customer success to actually get up get to grips with um so yeah that was definitely the biggest challenge i think from that from that transition it's a good point especially around the commercial element because it is quite difficult to know where to start and it's almost something that you can only get for experience but was there anything that you would looking back now um have any resources that you could have leveraged to be more up to speed on the commercial yeah. element quicker well i think i think you make a really good point there actually around 
um, you have to experience it and you kind of have to step on the banana peels a few times to actually then sort of see where they're lying further up the road. And I think the, the best, honestly, the best way of getting that spirit, that experience and that learning is to just put yourself in that, in that area. I think a really, a really beneficial thing to do is work very closely with salespeople because, and again, obviously a lot of businesses, CSMs are working very closely with account management and salespeople anyway, right? But you, especially from very early on, especially pre-sales, we are seeing a lot more customer success people now be introduced, actually being in those meetings and around those conversations and just talking to salespeople and just being like, hey, why did you why did you pose the platform in that way? Or, you know, why did you say that? Or why have you set that meeting up? And actually hear them and understand for them why this is, this is what I'm trying to do because this piece up here is moving and I'm trying to kind of influence this bit over here to get the deal closed. And actually you learn a huge amount from that. Um, so in terms, of, in terms of resources available, I'd say better connections into sales outside of your company and actually networking with more salespeople about you know, how do you close a large B2B SaaS, SaaS deal with you know, a huge financial services customer, right? How do you do that? How do you go about navigating that deal? And actually learning all of that's incredibly valuable. I didn't have any of that. You were just kind of with different salespeople. They'd have different approaches. You'd be like, okay, so this person kind of likes doing things this way. This person's more structured. So I definitely think in terms of not resources, but networking opportunities for other salespeople, I think actually it would, that would be, that would have been hugely beneficial to me. And how about from, so I guess you make a really good point there in terms of uh, it was an easier transition in terms of the technical aspects. Um, and obviously you mentioned reading outside in sort of triggered your interest in yeah. customer success. So what about from a personality perspective? Was there anything that you thought, you know, that's something that I think I'm really good at or something that I naturally tend to do? Yeah, I, I to be honest, I've always, I've always been someone that just enjoys making connections with people. Uh, and I'd never really, I don't think I'd ever really put that. So I, so I looked at that as a very social thing. And I looked at, and this was around this time, I looked at, at work as just sort of like work. And they were two very separate things in my life. And I think for the first time, I realized, okay, so all of that stuff over here that I love doing socially, I, it's, I can kind of merge it with work a bit. And to me, that was like, oh, okay, it's pretty cool. So that kind of sounds like something that might be for me. Um, so, so yeah, to answer your question, it was very much a case of all of, all of that kind of, extracurricular I hate that word's weird but um social activities and networking connecting that you did with a lot of people actually you you bring a lot of that or of that part of your personality to the csm role to the csm world um which is obviously then obviously beneficial um from from a working perspective so so that was definitely kind of the trigger for me that that made me sort of realize that it was something that i wanted to i wanted to kind of dive into but yeah yeah makes sense and i yeah. think it's um that's the ultimate combination between the two really isn't it it's as you said someone with the technical knowledge of the product or platform or software that you're selling and someone that wants to be able to uh, provide that knowledge to customers and help them be successful with that absolutely and I think now that I think back as well when I first got into CS like I don't know I don't know if you guys had this but um, there's like this fear element of you're representing the company like all of a sudden you're in front of a customer that's paying you you know potentially six four figure uh, six seven figure whatever like subscription fee so you're in front of them and you're like oh I need to now 
acts really professional and and you end up yeah. I, I went through this stage where I was like a bit stiff it was like weird like I was sort of like oh and I'd sort of you do, you have to sort Completely of feel like that. you have to present yourself in a certain way and then the more experience you get and the more years you do it you just you just loosen up and you end up just being yourself and you end up all of those kind of core social they start the all that core social stuff you've built over the last you know, 20 30 years of your life you just you just it becomes an actual blend over a, over a certain period of time. Um, so yeah, that's that's as you guys know, it's that's very much what starts to happen anyway. So it's 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 organic. And do you think yeah. that's why you perhaps maybe like startups as well, like that element of your personality? You can kind of be yourself in a startup yeah. almost, and you haven't got that corporate feel that yeah. Sometimes I mean, can... I, I'm a bit of a strange guy. Like I know that. Like I'm I'm. It's yeah. I think for me, I can. I feel like I can embrace the passion and drive and ambition within a startup but that's what that's what I think just it's it that's what's hooked me um and especially when we go and speak to you know a lot of our customers all of our customers are, are you know huge global businesses they know that they've invested in a startup right so they they know what they're letting themselves in for they're going to have technology people come in they're going to be incredibly passionate they're going to be agile like all that stuff so you see it as an opportunity to kind of go in and sort of excite people a little bit and be like, yeah, man, you've, you've invested in this awesome platform. It's so cool. It's such a fun part of your job. Like, let's talk about how we're going to actually take you and get you into a position where through procuring our platform, it's, benef- it's benefited your career, right? And we're going to do this together. So it's being a startup, you just, you just feel like that energy's there, that passion's there. And actually, a lot of our customers, and they say to us now, like investing in us as a startup, they've kind of got an emotional connection to it. They almost see, like, they see it as they're investing in us, um, which is really cool because then they're invested in what, in what we're doing and they're there to support us as much as we are them. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, you bring a lot of that personality, I think gets, gets kind of sucked in and molded by the startup almost. And I think that's why I'm, I've sort Fantastic. of been drawn yeah, to great. it so much, but yeah, it's uh yeah, it's pretty crazy world though. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. And um, so one of the key sort of themes that we've been talking about throughout the, the series so far is, um, building and, and segmenting customer success teams. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the reasons we were excited to talk to you today was obviously from that startup element. So mm. with that respect, what do you think are the, the biggest challenges that you would face in terms of actually building out customer success yeah, within that's, startups? That's a great question. Um, I So actually there's there's one huge challenge. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's thousands of yeah. challenges, right? But I think for us, there's one huge challenge. And actually it's something that I don't, I don't, this is difficult for me because I don't hear much from other businesses. Like, for example, so I was at, you know, Pulse last week, super brilliant, absolutely great. Um, so many good speakers. And there were people up on the stage who had built these, you know, really comprehensive, operationalized customer success teams that do all these great things. And I sit there and I'm like, wow, this is just, this is awesome what they've done there. And then I come back to the office and I'm like, I want to do all of that. And then you realize you just can't do all of that you can't even do 10 percent of it um and i think this comes on to the big challenge at a startup our size and running customer success is compromise so you have that framework in your head you can see it all so you can sit here you can see it all you can see all of the functions in two years time you can see everything that you want to put in place but the reality is it's going to take a long time for you to get there and then the difficulty is that you know you need to get there quickly because if you don't and you don't build that and set the foundations early, it's going to be very difficult later on to, to really 
drive that success, but you just can't. You don't have the budget, potentially. Um, you don't have the resources right now to be able to do that. You don't have the technology in place. Um, and then the budget for the technology can be difficult as well. So you, you kind of have to sit down and you have to say to yourself, what are the one to two things that realistically I can, I can get done and put in place in the next three months? And you have to look at the list, a never-ending list of 30, 40, 50 different you know, CS models or, or ways of working and people you need and functions you need. And so I need to pick literally one or two things off this list. And then you've got to put them in. And then they've got to work really fast because... And, and we know this, you know, anything realistically you put in from a CS perspective, it takes 12 to 18 months to really start to see the fruits of that labor. You don't have that in startup. You may even have a runway as a business that's less than that. So you're like, so I've got to put stuff in now. I've got to, I've got to implement things now that have got to literally have an impact in three months. So that challenge is massive and it, it really manipulates the way in which you deliver customer success at the business. And I... It's, it's difficult for me because there aren't, or it feels like there aren't many people on platforms, especially in Europe, who have started customer success teams in a startup this early that talk about this. So it's really difficult to, especially when you're sitting there and you're looking at all of these great things the other businesses are doing that are just a lot further on than you. It's really, really hard to, to kind of then figure out, okay, what is it that we need to do as a team? What has the quickest impact, which isn't always the, the best approach so compromise is the biggest biggest challenge compromising sometimes in what you almost believe in from a customer success perspective to get in what you know you need to get in now and that's that's i i battle that challenge every day and i have for the last three years um but you do get used to it (laughs) yeah i was gonna (laughs) say how how do you how do you go about fighting that challenge because as you say things like customer success in essence they are a long-term focus you know especially if it's a subscription platform or something like that it's, as you say, 12 to 18 months before that comes to fruition. So how do you go about you know, getting everyone on board with that internally and helping them to see, yeah. well, you know, we're trying to build up human relationships that can take time and investment and stuff like that? Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's again, that's a long process as well. I haven't even touched on that. I'm ta- I, you know, I've, t- I've spoken there about the compromise behind building a CS function. I haven't even spoke about like the actual buying for CS, which is just, as you guys know, it's just ongoing all the time. Especially at a startup, um, when you, I've, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people that work in CS and startups now, I think in London, almost 25 to 30 different people. Um, and the number one thing that they all say is, we were brought in here to lower churn. <laughs> Literally, that's that's what we, that's that's how the business got sign off from Remcom or whatever and on the board committee to pay for my wages was to say we're going to lower churn. That's literally how we did it. So that person was then brought in and then they've got this sort of period of time that they're going to have to take either the exec team or the founder or the CEO on this journey of customer success isn't actually that. Like it, it, it kind of is. That's that's one of the outputs from customer success, but that isn't what customer success really is. And they have to go on that constant sort of, sort of long journey of, of bringing them on that that with them um and that's again something that you know i've been doing for the last three years now and we're really lucky here at senior emily our founder and ceo she she's heavily bought into customer success she's very proactive with with reading about customer success she meets with dan um as well which for me is just it's 
it's just brilliant because she just understands the core value of what it is. For, for someone who's a very early founder and CEO, to be honest, I, it's quite rare. I haven't really seen that. Yeah. Um, so, so that for me, I think in terms of, in, in terms of that long journey, I think that's, that's something that's just constantly ongoing always. Um, the, the curiosity part, I think, and, and the piece around, um, the, you know, how you deal with that challenge on the day to day and, and how you're able to, to kind of navigate that. I think delegation across the company is incredibly important, especially at a startup. And it's actually easier as a startup because you're smaller. Um, you can't do everything. You just can't. And actually, there's, there's a lot of different teams at the business engineering who are incredibly supportive and can actually help with, with getting a lot of the early foundations in. So delegation across the business is something that um, is really, really important for, for combating that challenge. And then in turn, obviously, if you have the support, the CEO, your VP of engineering, your COO, it, it makes that a lot easier. Um, that's obviously a lot harder at bigger businesses where there's a lot more teams and a lot more process. It's easier at a startup to be able to, to utilize um, those sorts of sort of methods. Amazing. And I guess going back to some of the priorities and I, well, what would be the priorities? So having worked at seeing it, like what were the priorities for CS initially? Um, when, I, when I arrived. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... A little bit of background. So, so we didn't have a CS function. Actually, we had uh, we had two people here. So we had a, a customer success manager who had been hired roughly three or four months before me, mm-hmm. um, and a training somebody who had moved from an account management role into a training role, um, and an account management team that had sort of been disbanded at that point, and th- uh, those people had been moved into other roles across the company. So, customer success was kind of already here, but customer success was the the kind of the do everything team. Yeah. So is and again very normal stuff. Like mm-hmm. it isn't anything that you come in. Oh my word! Like customer success person's like making tea. What, what's going on? <laughs> um, no, it's not not to that <laughs> not to that extent. Like luckily, but like yeah, the, the customer success team are the every everyone people, right? It's like give that to CS team, they'll yep. do that. Onboarding, give that like to CS team support, give that to, the CS team could do that kind of thing. And it was and it was like that, and that was because we were very early on um, in our journey as a company. So we, I knew very very quickly that we would need to implement customer success fast and we would need to buy the rest of the company into what customer success actually is and then more importantly keep repeating that over and over and over and over like it's not good enough just saying okay customer success is here to do xyz here's what we do you you've all got it now let's let's all go off and do it it's a constant reminder and that's what actually kind of imprints in people's minds and it gets people talking about it and interested in it so that um that for me was was kind of where we were when when I arrived. Um, where we are now is a very different place. We still have lots of lots of challenges that kind of overlap, but it's a very different place to where we were then. Um, but I think for me, ultimately, um, every startup at some point will go through that transition. They may not have an account management team here at the start, but they will go through a, a transition where they will decide they will need customer success. A lot of the time, it will be because their retention number isn't where it needs to be. Um, and that's something that happens, especially at early stage startups as well. It's quite interesting. I was, at a, I was at a talk a year and a half ago, about two years ago. I'm still trying to find this guy. I have no idea who he is. So if he's listening to this, it would be really <laughs> great if you could just like message me on LinkedIn or something. Um, I, was at a, I was at a meetup. It was at one of the London meetups that Lauren Cumming and Anika and Marcel run. I was there. It was a, I'm pretty sure it was at Gainsight's office, offices. And this guy came up and he did a presentation on hiring in customer success 
I don't know where he'd got this data and this analysis from, and I wasn't able to catch him at the end, but he had this piece of analysis which basically said over the last two years, hiring in customer success or in customer success managers has grown by over 80% for companies that have less than 50 employees. And I was, st- I remember sitting there and just thinking, whoa. Um, and that's just so interesting to me because I've, <laughs> my last two companies has been, have, have been that. Um, and I remember when I was at my last business, it was very much around the fact that, you know, they wanted, obviously they had a churn number they needed to lower, but they wanted also to embrace customer success and they wanted to embrace the philosophy and the founder had spent a lot of time with, you know, team at Social Bakers and, and David at Typeform and sort of understood how, how they did that. Um, but yeah, like I've, I've been wanting to, f- I don't know who he is. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. Um, I haven't seen him anywhere since, but that was really interesting for me. And I think, again, that's something that is clearly happening. So there's there's more people out there that are working in these businesses and probably have the same challenges. We're probably not talking as much as we should. Um, but uh, but yeah, if, I've, if, if if he's listening to this, like, yeah, just message reach me. Out. <laughs> yeah, reach out. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on the subject of hiring, actually, the, one thing I did want to ask, and we've kind of touched on it yeah. um, so far already, but what do you think are the main differences for hiring CS at a startup? Yeah. So, you know, so far we've mentioned things like customer success within a startup becomes the do everything team. So is there a sense of we need to look for people who can be adaptable and take on lots of challenges. You've mentioned that for yourself, you came from a technical background. Yeah. So is that a really important um, function or, or capability? And then also you touched on like, commercial awareness as well. So is there like a priority list that you look for? Yeah, there is. Um, and I think, so So there's, I'd say there's three main things that I look for. One of them probably probably is replicable across every other customer success team the two probably aren't so the first the first one which is um that i think you probably look for any customer success um for any customer success professional is curiosity so the ability to see through ambiguity anywhere i think is something that is unbelievably important actually probably more important than any commercial knowledge like that's that person that's my opinion um and you can you can see those sorts of traits when you're speaking to someone by the questions they're asking you around the business some of the assumptions they've made off of some of the things they've seen about your business and how they actually question those those assumptions and it's really really important because as you guys know like anything you know even when it comes to this person's moved my call three times you know what's going on why is that happening what conversations are they happening it's quite funny my um he'll hate this um my senior csm at senior i mean i got i got a whatsapp um one one evening and it was just literally out of the blue and it was i was in the shower today and i had this terrible feeling this customer's not going to renew here's why <laughs> and i was like okay be it that I don't really want him to be at home, like in a shower, worrying about renewals. That's that's really bad. Definitely don't, just confirm. Don't want that. Um, but that curiosity, like just thinking upstream consistently and being curious about what's going on, not just there, but at the business. You know, has the CEO moved on? Why? Who's come in? What's you know? Has their share price dropped? Like all that sort of stuff, and being able to have those conversations with customers really important. So curiosity is huge. The second one, which is more, I think. Uh, startup related is entrepreneur entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial drive or passion I think is really important and um, people that have tried to start sort of small businesses in the past and things like that I think is is really really great because they'll understand 
you know, not only sort of actually what it's what it's like to kind of run a business of some sort, um, but they'll have that sort of agile capability in their role, whatever role they do, to be able to to switch roles and change, be adaptable very very quickly, um, and that's really 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 important. I think having a sense of that is huge, especially at a startup. Um, very early on, as you mature as a business. You, it sounds quite bad. You probably want you want less of those people because you just can't have a business of three hundred people that are all entrepreneurs. It's just it's mental. Uh, nothing could ever get done. But at this stage, it's the difference between you, you know, growing ten x in twelve months and growing at one x. Like is having people that are capable or have that have yeah. that skill. Um, I guess that makes a lot of sense as well because essentially you've got to take ownership of your team yeah. in a startup and introduce new processes and, and build out and hire the right people so you've a- got absolutely. that absolutely and especially when I'm traits. also you know I'm very stretched as well like so I'm very lucky my team here will have that so they have the capability to say hey Dan don't worry about it you just leave that with me and I'll I'll go and I'll go and do that and I know I fully trust that they are capable of going and being able to do that because they exhibit they exhibit that skill every single day so um so yeah entrepreneurial drive is is just huge for us um the second one this this probably sounds quite boring and it's sort of the one that's like oh every like company says that in general like outside of customer success but alignment to company values the reason that's so important specifically for customer success and I truly truly believe this is you know, for many of your customers, some of your, so even some of your customers, the only person they might actually meet and speak to is your customer success team. They may not chat to the CEO ever. They may have, you know, they may open a few tickets with a support team, but actually the only person they ever, ever talk to is your customer success person. So that basically means that your customer success person, your customer success professional, goes that mean, is the face of your company. So when they think of, you know, any, when they think of their business, they think of that person. So you're almost going there. You're almost the CEO, like for the company at that moment in time. Which is, I, I think, that's what fascinates me about customer success so much. Um, so with that in mind, it's so important that all of your brand values, everything that you have from a value perspective, that person aligns to everything. Because just for brand consistency, if anything, you want that customer to be seeing, seeing it. Like you're the window into into the business, right? So they have to be aligned with all of those values that you have. And it's so important. And I think the good thing about the hiring process now is obviously when you have HR teams, they, they do a lot of that alignment and value alignment early on in the screening process. But it's something that I like to kind of touch on again um, just to make sure because it's just so so important um, for us as a team here as a startup so yeah that's 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 the third that's probably the one that's kind of like duh, yeah I guess <laughs> Obviously, you could say but, it's um, it, arguably even more important for a startup though because going back to what you were saying before like um, you know these are huge companies that you're working with and as you said they, they might be more inclined to go on that journey with you and so you want that person who is the, the CSM to be completely passionate about it and fully understand the values that they're trying to represent one million percent mm-hmm. absolutely like you know we we have this rule here where and, and we like to it's more of a behavioral trait but this is an example of that where the customers that we work with they they work with tons of different software platforms right and actually i, I think this is a this is sort of a trap we fall into in SaaS in general we focus a lot on our competitors you know what are competitors doing that's different to us we need to be doing that we need to be doing this actually your competitors aren't really your competitors. 
your competitors are the other software platforms that probably have nothing to do with you that your customer has bought. Because what's happening is your customer is sitting there, they're talking to all of these different customer success teams and account management teams, and they're comparing you. And the second that you're not doing something that one of those other companies are doing, it's like, oh, you know, th- th- these guys, they take us out for dinner and, and they bring their CEO along. You've never done that with us, right? And they're comparing you all the time. So actually you're competing against businesses that aren't even in your space. They're just, they've just been bought in by maybe the same same part of the business as, as you've been bought in on. So with that in mind, one thing that we do here, one behavior we try to exhibit is, or, or, one, or one sort of thing that we want to get out of it, is when we go to a meeting with our customers, we want to leave that meeting and they walk back to their desk and they say, oh man, those senior guys, like we just love having them here. Like love them coming down. We always learn so much. Like... I feel so passionate afterwards. Here's all the things I want to do with video. Because realistically, we're a video platform. With like, even though yes, like there's there's core business value there. It's fun, man. Like our customers get to create video. I mean, that is just seriously cool. So when we go down there, we want to have fun there. We want them to be like, oh yeah, let's do this. Right, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. And, and really help drive that. So from a values perspective and tying back into the behavior that we have as a, as a CS team, it's all about passion. It's all about seeing our customers, working with our customers and getting them excited and passionate about it as well. And, you know, that only helps when, you know, they're sitting there with lots of different, you know, maybe internal comms tools and they're like, yeah, we, we kind of like we kind of like doing stuff on this platform a lot more, like and a lot more frequently because it's more fun. Actually, these guys are always here to kind of help us out. So that behavior is really, really important. And that ties back into our values as a business as nice. well. And have you got any particular approaches that the CS team do to drive that? sort of behavior or um no we don't (laughs) there you go yeah we don't have any um it's i think for us again as a small team it's about talking about customers we 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 make a huge effort not just within our team but at the business we have customer showcase every two weeks um we talk about our customers and we don't just talk about how they're using senior and all the cool stuff they're doing with senior the, the business like we have a few customers that you know across the business some people haven't heard of the company i don't know what they do what their challenges are so getting sort of almost well versed and um you know articulate about talking through the different businesses that we work with and how they work with us and what they do and their challenges it's really important to us and that as a team i think drives an energy that makes us incredibly passionate about that and actually being able to go um go and deliver you know value to our customers but it's sort of in an exciting way right with energy and passion so so just talking as a team and constantly sharing customer stories i think something that really really helps with that and keeps that energy going um, but yeah something you mentioned earlier actually about cs not necessarily just being about churn here which yeah. is great and obviously the it sounds like the founder and, and ceo is really bought into customer success how do you summarize customer success as a, a, what's the mission at seeing it yeah uh, oh wow good good question um so okay our um so our mission as a business is for global inclusive storytelling like that is that is what we believe in um now our platform and our technology and the concept of our technology is still very early to market if you go out and look at other video platforms it's it's still very early to market even though people have been creating video like this for the last four or five years it's still very new. Um, and we've got a lot of customers out there who have been customers for a long time, and I, I genuinely believe this, have taken a leap of faith 
in investing in not seeing it, but the concept of what they're trying to achieve. It's been a leap of faith, right? It's been them saying, this is the future. Not many other people are doing this. We're going we're gonna to go for this, guys. We're going to we can we can jump on this we can make this happen which is takes a lot of bravery i think huge amount of bravery bravery and we here at this company appreciate that a million percent so as far as we're concerned here not just the cs team but as a company these businesses and these customers have have invested in us as a company and we are here to make sure that they are not let down by that and that is incredibly important for us it runs through the dna of this company it runs through the dna of our founder and ceo um, and that is something that we are all incredibly passionate about and i think that drives into making sure that we're obsessive absolutely obsessive that every single customer we have is seeing the outcomes that they that they want and also we're able to do much much more and that's incredibly important and that is that runs through the dna here and it's, it's part of the reason I was, I was drawn to this company in the first place but um that's something that's that's very important that that we absolutely recognize um and we're here to support them and make sure that they're not let down from that they they have a what i like to say is they have a common view or or that a common view of how the future looks like that mirrors what we believe. So we're here to make that help them make that happen and make them help them get there that ultimately. And that's, that's our goal. Yeah, I think that's great. And we've definitely spoken about this on a, a previous episode, but for customer success to be successful, it actually needs to be a partnership with, with a yeah. client. Yeah. Um, you know, they're buying the software for a reason. And like you say, if they share a vision that just makes it not just easier, but it makes it, Again, going back to what you were saying before, it's easier to be passionate about it when yeah. both sides of the, the partnership are actually bought in. So that's really, really yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that goes for all of our customers. They, they, they are absolutely believe in in what they've invested in, um, and you know, I think that's that's what's so great about about platforms. Like again, like you know, I won't just kind of talk about seeing it here. Create tech platforms and and some of these new emerging technologies is that you know, they don't serve a specific purpose, right? Like I, th I think SaaS was built on the fact that there's a pain and a challenge and you plug this SaaS tool in and it takes that pain challenge away and there's the return on investment. And those platforms are very easy to renew every year because, you know, they're sticky, they're integrated, you can't rip them out, it's impossible. You rip that out like everything else, you know, the whole house of cards falls down, it's very easy to renew. Create-tech platforms, some of these merging technologies, actually they don't do that, they don't solve a specific pain, they actually have about 50 use cases. Um, and not only is the customer success team is that unbelievably challenging, but you know, when it comes to renewal time, for example, your customer, if, if, if you've got a, a sort of a, a wide create tech platform, may sit there and say, okay, well, where's the value? Where are we plugging this into? So the challenge is there, but the art of that, then the flip side of that is that these technologies are the ones that are, are, can change the world and can be, the, be those platforms that just take things to another level. And that's why they're so exciting. And your customer, customers of those platforms, they believe in it and they want to make it work. So I think that's the great thing about a lot of these technologies and these create-tech platforms is that that's, that's, that's kind of how they look. And I think it's really exciting. Amazing. Um, yeah. You mentioned outcomes as well, which is something that Matt touched on okay, yeah. uh, quite a bit, which was great. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that something that's, that's fairly new, would you say, in terms of making sure that rather than just providing solutions, we're actually looking at the individual outcomes of customers and then constantly working yeah, working towards those. Absolutely. We we've you know, I've I've been through a lot of different ways of talking about this over the years. There's what value are you getting or what's the ROI? Like questions like that, I think 
a little bit confusing. I think actually, if I was to go back to my, my desk now and I had, I don't know, somebody, somebody from Zendesk or whoever called me and be like, what's the ROI on your, I'd probably go, oh, I don't actually, I don't know. Like it's, that's a very broad open question. And actually, I think talking about outcomes is actually a very natural thing for, for any human being, an outcome to something. Um, so one thing that, yeah, I, I totally agree, and I listened to that episode with Matt. One, the one thing that we try to do here now a lot is talk about outcomes. So what are the outcomes that you're, you're ultimately looking to get to? through you purchasing this platform what do they look like um, and then sit there and actually you know come up with outcome one outcome two and then you know what there might be an outcome three that we advise the customer and we're like hey why don't we why try let's try and nail these two first because obviously that's incredibly important but you know what if we can get to here that is like a star man like 100 so outcomes i think is very important that's one thing that we're starting to do more as a cs team um, and especially as a sales team as well we start to talk about outcomes more less about value an ROI because ultimately our outcomes are value if you if you get the outcomes you're expecting or you want then you've got value anyway so you're, you're just bringing it down one level so yeah I agree I think outcomes is a really really important important way of structuring it yeah so I think it's a very good point especially because ROI kind of forces you down that avenue and if you're not helping them to achieve ROI then by that own admission you're failing but yeah. outcomes can be you know a, a whole range of different possibilities um yeah but one thing i was going to say um so in terms of outcomes value all those that different types of things how does it differ in, in terms of a, a startup so how do you um how do you structure and set up the customer success team to to enable them to do that uh, good question it's actually um it's pretty much the same like and actually that's that's the one thing that doesn't change is um which has been really helpful is customer success in general or again companies companies do customer success differently but actually if you look at what they're doing and the framework of customer success it's, it is ultimately the same thing that's why it's helpful for me and and again for, for other customer success people in startups is because ultimately the framework is the same so you can you can even though you have to compromise on a lot the framework's still there and you still know what you're trying to achieve um how we set up the team around that. So specifically, I've, and I'll, I'll give you a bit of an example, I've sort of, oh, it sounds a bit horrible, functionalized my team. We're a small team, so, you know, if we're all doing everything, it's gonna be incredibly difficult to do to do one thing well. Um, so we're functionalized into onboarding, customer success management, customer experience and professional services. Um, and each of us focus on that one function and being excellent at that one function um, and work cross cross department. Um, now, how we've structured the business outcomes piece and, and pushed this into that. So, um, pretty simply, we have our success management function that's sort of engaged from the start, sometimes pre-sales. That's where we already start having those sorts of conversations very early on with the customer, so they understand what they're going to expect from how they're going to work with us. Um, onboarding there to then deliver the implementation or you know global enablement enablement of the solution across the 12 months depending on who needs to to get licensed or get involved um we then have the professional services team that sits separate to that we have um a range of different additional services that we that we can sell to customers which enhance value again that value being a being around their outcomes uh, which is really really important um and then we have customer experience which takes a step back um, they look after our sort of our technology tech um, segment but take a step back and have a look at the entire thing and say okay where are the gaps where are the touch points where are we delivering 
um, you know, an exceptional customer experience across across their subscription term. Um, and again, how does that circle into those outcomes? So everything is outcome driven. Doesn't matter what part, what function you own, it's outcome driven, and it feeds into the ultimate outcomes that the customer's looking for. So that's really really important. I think that communication across the team is really important as well. But but yeah, I think being outcomes focused is is as you know, it's got to be the way ultimately and that's the way really it's always been it's just that we've never really spoken about it like that and now we are um which is which is obviously good but but yeah so essentially with that customer experience team is that mm. essentially they're looking at the measurement aspect so across your entire portfolio of clients mm. drilling into the data understanding the trends in usage things like that that's exactly it. it's actually quite a new yeah new, uh, yeah. yeah and i think it's quite new for a lot of companies and it's i think it's just new in general um but uh but yeah so i've got someone who's made that transition um very recently um they are currently one of the things that they're doing is going through our entire customer journey from the second they get a marketing email or they're on the phone to a bdr through to a first demo um what that looks like how how seen it or the all the all the technology is propositioned in marketing all the way through what's the consistency of that all the way up to till it gets to the customer success piece then beyond the journey we have now what does that look like what are we tracking what are we measuring so yeah absolutely that's exactly it and um that's again that's a really really hard job and it's even harder at a company that has a thousand people working there because it's just how the hell do you take all those different data sets and present anything but i mean i think of that and i'm like wow if i was <laughs> if i was given that task at a big company i had no idea where i'd start um again at startup you can it's incredibly difficult but I mean, you know everyone, you sit next to everyone. There's no reason why you can't make that happen and present that back to the company in an effective and efficient way, which again is one of the benefits of startup is that when you need to execute certain things, you need to, you need to do these things, you've got people available, you've got the CEO and the COO available as well that means that you have access to those people when you need them. Um, so, so yeah, CX is something moving forward that we're taking really seriously. Um, Amazing. Yeah. And is that from conversations with... Uh people from other organizations is that something else that you're seeing as a trend i guess yeah i read <laughs> um, to evolve yeah absolutely i read I, re I read up on it a lot actually I, I met with i know the the team at box have got a got a, a a really good cx function there so i spoke to them quite a bit um i <laughs> read a lot gene bliss i don't know if you've read read gene bliss a lot yeah she's um she's like a five-time chief customer officer and she's done a lot of different um posts and uh books on the customer experience uh, one of them's called uh, "Treat Your Customer Like Your Mother." <laughs> it's, it's, it's really cool, man. Yeah. Some really cool stuff. Um, so I did a lot of reading around a lot of the stuff that that Jean that Jean writes, um, and and yeah, I think for, for us as well, I think customer experience is a big part of our segmentation as well, and the fact that you know you have you have to be able to to segment um, ultimately and and then deliver sort of a, a technology or experience-based approach engagement model. Um, so, yeah. That was something I actually was going to ask around in terms of the segmentation of your existing accounts. It'd be interesting to know how you currently do that and yeah. whether there's a particular approach that you take. Yeah, I think segmentation is an interesting one, Mike, because it's like, um, again, here at Seen It, so, so we didn't... I, we, I think you probably speak to anyone and they'll be like, what's the first thing you should do in a customer session? Like, segment your customers, right? Um, we've only just started going through that period and I've been here like 19 months. So I guess most people would be like, you've done a terrible job. <laughs> 19 months, you've only just started doing that. Seriously, that's awful. Um, but again, that comes back to the compromise, right? And mm -hmm. you know, what, what can we do? What needs to be done? 
sort of earlier on um in terms of segmentation so I think, you know, I speak to a lot. Of, I think most of the, the companies I speak to are segment on contract size, right? Like our higher paying customers get a different level of service. Our lowest low paying customers get a different level of service, X, Y, Z. Um, I, I think ultimately that makes sense because I think the reason you segment, I think customers across customer success anyway, it isn't necessarily for your customer. It's for the business. There's no way you can operate, a, you know, a customer profitable SaaS business without any sort of a segmentation in, not knowing the cost to your, you know, your cost of acquisition plus your cost of cost of your success offering. Like, there's no way you can calculate your lifetime value as a company if you don't know what those things are, and you're and you're not you're not keeping an eye on them. So you absolutely have to do that. Um, how I believe you should segment is you should draw up almost what your ideal customer profile is. So based on all of the customers that you've got now, what is the ideal customer profile? Um, and what I mean by that are all of the key data points or behaviors or traits that those customers have that show that they have you know, a huge amount of value in your platform, that they grow year on year review, all of those, all of those bells and whistles. Um, and then what you do is you take all of your customers and you score them with each of those individual data points that you have on that ideal customer profile. Um, and you score each and every one of them. You can make it very, really, really simple, like one to 10, um, you know, one to 100, whatever you want to do, but score them all up. And then take a look at that and align your contract values next to each and every single one at the end. Because I think sometimes what you can do when you segment purely on contract value is you really, really miss how you service each of those segments. I think that's really, really important. It's really simple to say, highest ones you know, can pick up my phone to a CSM whenever, and these ones down here don't talk to anyone, and that's just because they're paying us less. I don't think that's right. I think that's wrong. Um, what I do think should be done is you use that profile to then look and say, okay, so the customers in this middle part here, well, they're missing these bits here. And the reason they're missing these bits here is because we're not spending enough time with them. We're not here to support them enough. So actually you know, should we be doing it more with this quartile than actually this one, even though they're paying us more? And actually that helps shape your success offerings in your individual segment. So I'm a big advocate of that. I think that's that's really, really important. Obviously, at the same time, you've got to be responsible as a tech business and you have to make sure that your costs are aligning with your profits. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes people perhaps get caught in the trap of segmenting based on the now yeah. and not the potential for the future. Because yeah. exactly as you said, you could have some brands that you're working with and they might fall into that maybe the bottom tier and you know as you say if it's just based on contract value then you'd probably not ignore them but not give them support that they would need so in a year's time they could be your highest spending customer for example absolutely you could have like let's say i don't know uh, amazon or spotify or google or someone like that who you know you've you've been bought in by one individual within one team at google like you know huge opportunity but you've been bought in by one team so contract value is probably a lot less but you're working with google like they're that lot or you're working with amazon right like they're, they're a massive business like just for you to even be able to do a case study with them or something like that like that's huge exposure it's huge lead gen um, and there's massive opportunity in the business especially if you if you have a really great first impression there and you do really well and you're really successful that person's going to be more likely to want to talk about other talk about you talk about you to other people within the company right so you're right in that instance you might even though they may be paying less you may want sort of a more premium experience for them um, or success offering i think yeah it's really important it's all about making those strategic decisions i think totally 
Yeah. And you mentioned about the data points. What yeah. are the data points that you look at? Is that looking at usage or is there anything in particular? It's actually not looking at usage at yep. all, uh, which is which is interesting. And actually, I put it was quite interesting. We I layered I sort of layered that over the top as well, and then you can start to see what usage looks like in different segments. You can start to see the type of usage you need to be driving towards. So I think that's really important. Um, so the biggest ones that that we look for um, are firstly the initiative. That sounds really really big, but you know, is there sort of a higher initiative at the business on a scale of one to ten for video and what it means to the company how have they deployed video across the business do they have other video tools that integrate with each other how strong is that because you know if if that's bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger chances are that you know by plugging your solution in they're going to be they're going to be way more successful right um Key stakeholders. How many key stakeholders do you have at the business? Do you have strategic stakeholders and do you have operational stakeholders, right? That's really important because you've got your strategic st stakeholders there that believe in the vision. They, they believe in the platform. They probably never log in, but they, but they believe in it. They sign the contracts, right? They're the ones that are there to make sure that you're, that you're delivering ROI. Then you've got our operational con contract, uh, contacts, right? You've got the people on the ground that are actually driving adoption for you at the business. If you haven't got that, you can't be there every single day. You don't work there. So you need to have those operational contacts in place as well. Making sure that we've always got at least two of those is, again, a, a massive indicator for success for us as a company. So they're two of the things we have. We have a range of different ones as well. Analytical mindset as well on a scale of 1 to 10. How strong is that? Like, what did I analyze? Where does that data go? You know, the higher these scores, then the sort of the differing types of, of, of success offering that they need. So... I think understanding as a company, and I think if, if, if there are any companies out there that haven't done this or success teams that have done this, building your ideal customer profile is, is, really, is, is really important. Um, it's not ideal for you, it's ideal for the customer. That's the key. What is ideal for the customer? If they have these, these, sort of, these traits, these personalities, these data points, they're more likely to get more value out of our platform. So that's what we want them to have. And if you haven't done that yet, definitely do it. Um, I love that, yeah. yeah. I really like it. I've not heard anyone else kind of approach it in that way but yeah it's a great use of qualitative data i guess and absolutely essentially and you don't have to get like two data i mean again we're start we've got lots of data but there's also lots of data we don't have so you've got to you've got to try and be agile to that and find data points and sort of contextual data points that exist that you can use bigger businesses will have inf an influx of data they can use as well so it'll be it'll be a lot easier to pull something together, but then harder because you'll have more data. So, so yeah, just thinking about you know ideal customer profile. What is I? What are the ideal data points or trends for customers to have that means that they can get more value? Identify what they are. Score your customers in a list, and then start to segment based on okay, what types of success offering am I gonna am I gonna be able to deliver to get them to tick more of those boxes and move to this one. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Whose uh, responsibility is it to build that customer profile? Is this something that you've done with the team collaboratively or is it the sort of role of the CX yeah. team? It'd be, yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to know like, how to approach it. Yeah, it's definitely a collaborative approach. Yeah. You've got to. Um, I mean, I, I kind of, this was a project I ran myself um, in my previous company, COO ran this project. That worked really well because she, because she was the COO, she naturally, well, she didn't get out to be to customers. She should know, right? So she had to engage all of the different parts of the business. Um, so she did a really good job at engaging all of the different parts of the business to bring everyone together to build that over a space, I think it was about two, three months. And she came up with something br like really brilliant. Um, it was great. Here a little bit different. Um, it was kind of me running that project, but I, I had to, you know, 
ultimately collaborate with our sales team with our with our customer success team because because ultimately we're the ones talking to customers every single day so again it's still a collaborative approach it has to be that way you do need someone driving it though the second that you kind of delegate little bits out here and there it just kind of gets a bit mashy and it's it doesn't it's not the form it needs to be someone has to drive the delivery of it but it's ultimately it's collaborative in terms of the data that you decide you need yeah i think on on the delivery i think the cool thing about this that you just explained is that it then does translate into that delivery and the the measurement so how do you know the team is being successful well you know we segmented the the customers based on this and mm. you can start to track things like the stakeholders are we still in contact with them regularly for the operational stakeholders that then encompasses the usage yeah. tracking that we were talking yeah. about because i think some people do sometimes focus a lot on just usage and adoption but like you said with this it goes so much further in terms of the success absolutely and you can also focus too much on a strategic side yeah right like i saw this great talk of pulse last week um this guy called frank mccracken uh wingmore it group and he was talking he was talking about you know customer health and all these sorts of things but he was like you can get this sort of quadrant over here who have like you know, on a strategic perspective, they're like off the scale. You've got all these amazing relationships. So your CEO talks to their all hands, like, I love you. They better use product. So you're like, so they'll probably renew in the first year, but then all, you know, six months in, someone's going to turn around and go, so what are we actually doing with that then? Yeah, hang on a minute. Like, hang on a minute. Um, so it's both sides are really important. And I actually think the stakeholders at the business, uh, are, you know, actually figuring out what type of stakeholder they are for you is, is also really, really important because you need both of those. Um, yeah. And do you guys um, encompass anything like success plans that are either agreed internally or do you ever try and get them to the stage where they are like mutually agreed, agreed with the client as well? Yeah. So success plans has been one of those compromises for us. Um, again, it was one of those where I was just like, we have to have success plans in place. And it's just, it's been, it's been very difficult. I guess to say we don't have success plans, probably unfair. We do just unofficially. So, I mean, I've worked at companies in the past where you, know, you sit down with your customer day one, you're like, right, here's the success plan. You're going to sign it. My VP of customer success is going to sign it, and you've signed that then, so you can't turn around to us in a year's time and say we haven't delivered if we've done these things. Like, so it was very formalized. Here, less so. Um, here, it's a, an agreement, a verbal agreement, and a conversation we have with the customer at the start of their relationship. And then at every touch point, we're constantly touching on that. Okay, so what we agreed on, let's review. What we agreed on, let's review. So we've met this one, we've gone back on this one, what are we gonna do about this? Um, so it's just a constant reminder all the time, every single month of those agreements at the start. Um, I guess that's our success plan. Again, we have processes internally where we document um, customers' outcomes and goals and how close we are to them. So we do that sort of, I guess you could call it a success plan. It's just. It's not as formalized as what I've seen in the past. Um, and again, I don't particularly think right now, you know, the, the size of the business are and how mature we are that we really need that right now. It's it's a real requirement. But I think as we mature, it will be something that we, we have to sort of really seriously look at rolling out. Yeah, makes sense. Perfect. I think it's one of those as well where, um, again, it's based on the relationship ultimately, isn't it? So yeah. if there is a trust on both sides of the partnership, then... Like you say, you don't really need to officialize it. It's absolutely. yeah, it's just the agreement between. A absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Perfect, fantastic. So um, probably just kind of going on to the the measurement aspect. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting in terms of the current structure of the different teams that you have. Mm. What approaches do you take to measure? how they're performing and how does that differ from CS to, to CX? Yeah, good question. So um, so ultimately, um, I try to look at it as what I'm responsible for. <laughs> That's how I try and do it. So, because it's really difficult, I think, when you when you drill into each individual and then try to map out how it has an effect at the company, I, I, it's really hard. So I try to start at the top, net revenue retention. Ultimately, that's that's 
100%, that is, that is what we need to be focused on. Um, so if net revenue retention is our focus, then the split has got to be renewal growth, right? Like ultimately, so you just start to layer it down. It's the same for every, every other company. Then what you've got to look at is the individual functions, how each individual function pushes towards renewal and growth. So I am a big advocate of not giving and again, I don't know how controversial this is, not giving customer success people renewal targets. I think that's wrong. Um, the fact is, I think most companies do. I think that's just the way it works. And I just think that's because it's always worked that way. I think we'll start to see a change in the next two to three years of that. Um, but I think that starts to um, encourage problematic behavior around delivering value for customers and it's more about hitting a quota so you end up you you end up giving someone a quota ultimately i don't think that's right so what you have to identify are the triggers that drive that and you've got to do a bit of data around it a data analysis around it you've got to ultimately i think if you build a comprehensive truth score or health score about your for your customers that will ultimately drive your renewal rates and drive your growth so focus your team on that focus give them a target of an average health score across their customer base and give them a target of that health score. That will be a combination maybe of usage, it will be a combination of you know strategic score of some sort. But if that if that honestly drives your renewal rates, that's the score that you've got to focus on. Because think about it, right? Like we've all been there, like oh you know, you're great. We're not we're not continuing, you're great, you've done so much work for us, but the product's not working. And you're like okay well I fed this back to our product team like for the last six months they haven't done anything about it and now our customer's not going to renew and and you know ultimately I don't I don't know how I could have stopped that or how I could have prevented it right and you're constantly doing retros on it the reality is the CSM does not anyone that uh, anyone disagrees with this I'd love to sit down and have a chat um, so if you're listening please do message me on LinkedIn I'm trying to market myself you get you both um, on podcasts if they do I don't believe yeah. any customer success person 100% impacts a renewal no way no way a customer can have issues with your product they can be oversold to they can be over marketed to like there's there's a range of different reasons why why somebody doesn't doesn't renew what a customer success person is responsible for is the predictability of that i need somebody to tell me six months in advance hey dan i think this customer's in trouble and here's why so then we say okay here's how we're gonna here's how we're gonna plan and do something about that here's how we can forecast in other areas of the business that is what we're responsible for we are not 100 percent responsible for renewing them because it's just not possible to be we don't work in product we don't work in sales we don't work in marketing like we don't work in operations so it's just not possible so what is the thing that sits underneath that that drives it identify what that is and customer health is something that every customer success person can 100% affect yeah absolutely it's just defining that correctly it's defining what it is making it fair and focusing on it so customer success team purely that across the board our onboarding our onboarding team focuses on time to first value because we've seen a common trend in customers that have a lower time to first value and a higher renewal rate so we say okay let's try and lower that average time to first value down to the threshold we have for every single customer um, and then we define time to first value on certain certain actions uses actions in the platform that define that they've got value for the first time so that's one we focus on um, professional services that's all about quality of delivery customer feedback um, also profit margin on delivering your services as well that's that's very important um, so there's a range of different ones there the one that overlaps from all of them onboarding csm uh, cx all of it is customer health that is the one 
metric that is in every single function that we really focus on and that drives our renewal and, and, and then ultimately our net retention all the way up to the to, to the all the way up to the bottom line um, great yeah that's amazing and do you have any um like kpis on activity so how many meetings people should be going to like calls email sent that type of thing yeah good question we don't have anything like that actually um i like to um i like to operate quite an open trust sort of type of way of working like um my team here are amazing like they're you know their diaries are just always for meetings calls like there's always an agenda there's always objectives i mean they're, they're great um so i try not to kpi on anything like that again at bigger businesses you you sort of need to because you need to be able to track that in line with success it's, it's, uh, that is that is needed at a lot of companies um we kpi purely on um health in, health increase health score increase where it's going we review that every week we say okay why is it here what do we need to do let's review next week and come back um so that's a big one uh and, and again now also now you're getting a lot of i don't know if you've seen this but a lot of companies um a lot of customer success teams that i speak to um target on cqls to customer qualified leads a bit like mqls and sqls and those qls out there um CQLs, so you know, customer qualified leads, so leads that actually your customer success manager can open for your sales team inside an, an existing customer, um, is huge because I think you know ultimately if, if you're sort of putting more money into the pipeline into a new business pipeline that's massive, um, and I'm seeing more and more companies adopt that approach now and start to actually create CQL targets for CSMs. So it's ultimately not selling. Again, not closing. That's not what you're doing. You're looking for opportunities. You've you've got the inside track right everywhere that a salesperson probably couldn't have. Um, so you've got you've got those areas there that you can you can look at and analyze and say, hey, I think there's a genuine opportunity there, and set a meeting up maybe with your account manager or your salesperson. So CQLs is one I'm seeing more and more. I think that's really interesting um, because it's it's almost like customer marketing, yeah. I guess, to an extent. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and I think. On your point around uh, like having calls and meetings and stuff like that, that sometimes the challenge with that can be that um, some clients don't or some customers don't necessarily need that. You know, if you've done the yeah. onboarding successfully and you've built up the relationship, it might be at a point where they only really need the QBR and they have those meetings, yeah. you know, four times a year. And it could be in one of those meetings, as you say, that that's where one of those CQLs comes from. You know, they, they give you feedback on the product. Maybe there's some sort of expansion yeah. that you could then obviously add into the existing contract. I, t I totally agree. And I think as well with those sorts of meetings and calls targets, like the question you go ask yourself is like, I'm, I'm about to get on a call with a customer. What is the value the customer is going to get from this? Like if it's, well, I'm going to try and help with an issue they've got, but I'm just kind of bagging this call in because it's going to hit my quote. I mean, that's just, it just make it like, I'm almost like, wow, really? Like, yeah. is that a touch point for a touch point sake there that doesn't need to be there? Ultimately as well, like how much is that going to cost? <laughs> like if you have like, call after call after call, meeting after meeting, like with everyone. That's, that's a huge expense to the company, like to the point where you know, your CFO will look at that at the end of the year maybe and go, oh my word, like you spent <laughs> X amount um, on calls and you know what, our retention's only gone up 5%. Like we're doing something, we're not doing something right there. Something needs to change. So yeah, ultimately, again, it depends on if there are specific value points to come out of those calls okay. and meetings. There's always an agenda. There's objectives and actions you're looking to um, looking to drill into on those calls yeah absolutely 100% um, some software you know platforms will require that much mm. like they're so important that like, you know 
if, you, if you've got a data analytics platform that plugs into every single part of the company and it's like the most needed thing in the entire company mm-hmm. yeah you may have to have those calls in the diary every week twice a week means twice a week you might need to do that um, and that's that's required but for them for other software platforms that's almost over servicing it's it's you've got to identify where are the key touch points where are we going to deliver value and we've got to stick to those um so yeah i guess on the um subject of like over servicing something i've always struggled with is just how do you measure um the cost of service yeah like I don't know if that's something that you've done or that you currently do, but it'd be yeah. interesting to know like an yeah. approach for that. It's, it depends how deep you want to go. Yeah. I think, um, so I think cost of service, you've got to take, so ultimately the wage for the wage for all of your, your customer success people. So once you know that, break that down to an hourly rate. Um, and then if you've got a customer journey in place with proactive touch points, how long those touch points are are they an hour are they two hours and then map the hourly rate of your csms against all those touch points per customer so you should then ultimately get a cost per customer of how much it costs your csm team to deliver that servicing then you've got the tools you use so how much do all those cost do you use gainsight do you use salesforce do you use zendesk break that total cost down on a customer by customer basis then travel expenses how frequently do you travel out what's the average cost of your travel expense so you can get as deep as you want but once you pull that down on an hourly rate and collate that you should have a total cost across the 12 months um, for you as a business to deliver a certain type of success offering to your customers and then once you've got that your CFO is going to love you because then they're going to be able to look at their cost of acquisition and say right if I put these two together how much more how how much more do we need to sell to our customers to then get back to profitability because that's what SaaS is all about right like most most subscription deals in SaaS like lose you money in the first year so if you have a customer that comes on churns in 12 months that's like a bit of a disaster to be totally honest like you need to tee that second year up to then start to move into more of that sort of profitability side of things unless your customer buys more quite early on which you're seeing a lot lot more of now um but but ultimately yeah you've got it you've got to take sort of every single piece of expense that you have as a business and you have to try and relate that to individual customers so that you can say okay well this customer's coming on they're going to cost us i don't know forty thousand pounds to service across the next 12 months and that's the success offering they need so i need to be able to measure that and make sure actually that we're we're completely in line with that with that success offering and the cost behind it so um again i think if anyone's thinking of doing this like yeah sitting down with your coo or your cfo or your financial controller is really important um it's an activity i've gone through here we've we've we found out what that is um and that's really important for us now because again it doesn't compromise our success offering it's not like we say they're the touch points if a customer wants to pick a phone up to you don't answer it if it's outside of those that's absolutely not how we work at all like we we want to be as flexible as we can but it's it's just good to get that cost and then just keep reviewing it every every you know, three to six months yeah i was going to say moving? i guess theoretically you could then you know the section we were talking about segmentation you could technically apply that to the segmentation and if you have those yeah. clients where if you've done the forecasting um, effectively you know the ones that you want to grow or that have the potential to grow you could then start applying this and say Absolutely. you know we have the ability to potentially not over service them but if we do over service them it could result in you know growth for that but account that's a really good point so you can you know if you're if you're tracking this effectively and you say okay well we've we've done a really good job of bringing this down and hey we've put this customer on in our sort of our tech touch segment or our sort of one up from our tech touch and our growth segment or whatever people call them um 
and actually it's a huge you know it's it's johnson and johnson you know for, for, for crying out loud right um there's a huge opportunity there actually do you know what should we just pop them up a segment and actually spend a little bit more time with them because actually they could be a huge ambassador for us as a company um and then you can start to sort of layer that flexibility and yeah i think it's a great point i think it's really really important um yeah I think so many companies as well are sitting on clients like that at the moment where, as you said, you may just have one or two contacts at these huge companies um, and just CNCS, not necessarily just for reducing churn, mm. but more as a team that will drive growth. And Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day, their, um, their um, VP customer success, uh, uh, yeah, B2B SaaS platform, but they have like a, uh, a user licensing option, like a lower end option. Uh, and they were like, yeah, so we, we, you know, we looked at this the other day and we noticed that, that we've got 50 different people from IBM using it on individual user licenses and they're just sitting on our tech touch thing and we're like, oh my God, that's, that's IBM. Like we, sh- we should really be spending a bit more time like trying to figure out who all those people are. Maybe even get an account manager on that or a salesperson on that. You know, we also found out we had like four people from Oracle like using it as well. So it's just, yeah, it's really, it's really tricky sometimes because you, I think a lot of companies tend to go, yeah, that's that, like that, that can just sit there. We'll focus on our enterprise segment or whatever. But actually it's all about moving people from your, sort of your lower segments up to your higher segments so that's what it's all about not reducing churn there it's about actually moving them up and it's almost like a funnel almost like a sales funnel it's a marketing funnel it's kind of like that moving them up um and we don't yeah we don't spend enough time there because we kind of say no nope, that's outside of the success offering but actually we should still go and look at that and say well who's actually using it what sort of businesses are in there because we may need to do some organization mapping or it might need to be a salesperson in on that so yeah, yeah. really important makes sense yeah fantastic Yes, on the sort of measurement front, so tracking activity, tracking engagement, yeah. even tracking the cost of service. Are there any tools that that you use or would would recommend to others? Uh, <laughs> again, being a startup, yeah. not many. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is where the challenge comes of a startup. You know, um, so Salesforce is obviously really important for us. We try to build in as much as we can into Salesforce to kind of maximise that. Um, on the cost stuff, spreadsheets. Yeah, I was going to say. Ultimately, yeah. that's <laughs> well, my, that, spreadsheets are my baby at the moment, <laughs> um, which is, I never thought I'd hear myself say that. Um, uh, there, are, there are a few other tools that I do know that other companies have used in the past. There's a tool called, uh, tool called Chart Mogul. Have you ever heard of that? So that's great. So that plugs into all of your payment licensing, your subscription license, everything. Um, it tells you all your MRR, your ARR, your lifetime value, white stuff like automatically. It's really cool. Um, but also you can do some of that cost analysis in there as well and it can all sit in there and kind of dynamically update. So that's a really good one to use. I've used that in the past that other companies definitely recommend that. Um, really, really important. Um, Google Calendar. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's the big one. Um, also, one thing in Salesforce as well that's quite nice is that you, you can have activities in Salesforce. So when you move, if you set up like a journey map and you've got proactive touch points in there with timings, when a customer moves from one stage of journey to the other, it will automatically create those um, those activities. So if it's like a six-month review or product roadmap session or something, it will create those on, on the account. And then if it's in Salesforce, you can report on it. So ultimately what I can then do is draw up a report of all of those activities, the amount of time they took, um, what they were, and then be able to figure out sort of how long those touch points took and be able to track more of that and then again start our success offering cost um so again that's kind of how i do things now but yeah there's there's a range of different tools out there for that and again i think um your sort of your financial controller and your cfo and those sorts of people will be able to help support you if you if you want to find out what that is um 
and also just how to calculate it. I sat with um, our uh, financial controller here for a while and, and she was like, oh no, you've got to think about this, you've got to think about pension, you've got to think, and you're like, oh, oh okay. So there's all these other things you miss out on. Um, so she was really able to sort of help me understand how I should how I should map it as well. But yeah, there's tons of tools out there. ChartMogul is a really good one. Great. Amazing. Um, so the, the final section that we've been doing yeah. on the episode so far is um, around firstly trends and then secondly advice. Yeah. So firstly, um, obviously we've spoken about the current state of CS, yeah. your background in CS and obviously how it's changed. Um, what are your views and opinions on where it will be in a few years time? Where do you think the, um, the industry is heading? Yeah. Um, well, I don't think customer success is going anywhere for a start, which is good news for all of us. Which <laughs> <Yeah>. is <laughs> good. Uh, still going to be in a job, hopefully. Um, yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, I think, so here's what I think, genuinely. I believe as specifically in a tech in technology industry i think we're moving to a consumption model based subscription um i think that is starting to happen now if you look at a lot of businesses and the way that they're setting up that consumption based model is pretty much the dna of of them um, as a company i think that will start to happen more and more with businesses because it makes more sense on the cost of acquisition side which is so high in SaaS, it's huge um Here's genuinely what I think, okay? It's, this might be a bit controversial. It's just genuinely what I think. In two to three, maybe, yeah, two to three years' time, I think customer success teams will be big, bigger than they've ever been. I don't believe sale... Well, I may even think sales may not even be around, potentially, or it may be operating slightly differently as it does today. I think ultimately most of your customers will join you not buy you so they'll join you probably for a small fee and then depending on how much they use you that's they'll then pay more and more and more so your customer success team will basically be there to drive the value because then what you'll have is direct value driven expansion literally direct because the more they use it the more they pay so your customer success team will be there dedicated to make sure that they're adopting the platform and they're using it more and therefore they will be expanding more so that initial sale will be even less important than it is today, which is interesting because that initial sale is now less important than it was yeah, yeah. Uh, it was 10 years ago. I think that initial sale is going to be even less important. So I think what you may see is a lot of salespeople moving into customer success in the next two to three years. But I genuinely think that shift is going to happen. And is that um, like new biz or account management or even both? Both. Yeah. I genuinely believe that. And I think the approach will then be about adoption value because that will directly link to expansion. Yeah, and driving seeing, the consumption. Absolutely. And you're seeing actually, I mean, obviously it's slightly different, but you're seeing companies like AWS and Microsoft as you obviously at, obviously operating this way because of what they what they ultimately offer, which is, you know, rack space, server space and stuff like that. The more you use, the more you, the more you pay. So <clears throat> they're set up in that way um, almost naturally because of what they provide. But I, actually, I genuinely think um, pretty much every SaaS company is going to start to make that transition because it will mean a lower cost of acquisition. It will mean a, a quicker, uh, quicker growth essentially, um, maybe a higher cost of service, but ultimately it'll even out. And I think we could see a lot of salespeople moving into customer success in the next two to three years. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I think. Uh, come back in three years and, and, <laughs> and talk to me there. Like, Dan, you were like completely wrong. <laughs> I can uh, see like how you'd have more yeah. collaboration as well with that, with marketing and, and customer yeah. success. It's essentially yeah. using those success stories I think with marketing, yes. drive customers in, show them the value. Mm. 
I think and customer marketing will become more prominent. Yeah. It's it's quite funny. You go around to a lot of a lot of businesses now and talk about how their marketing works, and it's usually product marketing, you know, lead gen. And actually, customer marketing isn't really spoken about. And again, when I go back to Spreadfast when I was there, like they actually had a customer marketing team. Like they were really ma- mature, like for a business of that size, customer marketing was an actual thing. And this was five years ago. Um, so I think customer marketing will become more prominent, and actually, I think a lot of marketing marketers' time will go into actual customer marketing and product marketing within customer marketing all that sort of stuff but i think we are moving towards a consumption model i think ultimately we will get there and i think it will change everything um so yeah if i'm right which may not be um yeah it's going to be really interesting uh, and a good place to be if you're in customer success ultimately yeah absolutely and on that note in terms of potentially you know salespeople that might consider moving into customer success What would be your main advice? So, or even if you could go back to yourself in 2012 when you were in a sort of technical support role and were making that transition into customer success, what would be your main uh, feedback or advice in terms of how to enter the industry and, and you know become an efficient CSM? Yeah. Um, so what I'd say to them is all of the core sort of commercial skills you've got already are going to be hugely beneficial. You've, you've like all of the all of the skills that I had to stumble through to get, you've got already which is great um but you may be missing the one thing that will change the game and that is being a student of technology and what i mean by that is you live and breathe technology or you know and i'm gonna I'm not gonna not gonna um just close this off technology here because customer success is spanning into all different areas a student of the industry that you work in so and what i mean by that is you understand how technology businesses operate, different types of technology, you're passionate about using them. Any use case that somebody can talk to you about, you can be like, oh, this is tool that does this great thing, you need to look at that. Like being a real student in technology and maybe even touching on a few more technical elements around, you know, how do SaaS platforms work? How does AWS work? What's AWS? Why do we use that? Where does data go? What segment? Like data goes from AWS in segment and it goes into our platform. Like just being a little bit more sort of inquisitive on, on, on those technical elements. It's the curiosity that you mentioned. Yeah, the curiosity, that. absolutely. Yeah. And, and then you're going to have the perfect blend. You're going to have full-on tech, tech knowledge. You're going to know, you're going to be able to have conversations with customers way outside of what you're doing around, oh, cool, I heard you use, oh, use Populo. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we know someone else that uses that. That's great. Like just, just have that wealth of knowledge in technology industry. If you can just add that, like... I mean, you've, you've got a lot of great potential customer success people there. We're going to have a lot of competition in the next two to three years. Um, but that would be my biggest Amazing. piece of advice, 100%. Yeah, yeah that's really good advice. Really yeah. good. Yeah. That's cool. Sick. Well, I think we could literally go on for hours. Like, it's been, yeah, man. It's, <laughs> it's been so great. Let's just, let's just sit here. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been great and learned loads. I mean, there's things like I've literally got a ton of notes here that I'm going to start working on straight away. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate your time and definitely think we'd love to do this again. So, yeah, we need to come back in three years and see if you're <laughs> yeah. right anyway. Yeah. And they're like, where's Dan? He's not here anymore. <laughs> oh, that's why, because he's wrong about everything. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. It's great to be on here. Like I said, I'm a big fan of this. And, uh, yeah, I can't. I'm just going to keep this and can't wait to see who else you uh, who else you speak to. It's awesome. So yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you very much cool. as well. Great speaking with you. Yeah, cheers. Cheers.